0: Welcome to Chief Digital Heroes, where we celebrate those who lead the charge on all things digital transformation at the world's most innovative banks and financial institutions. Here's your host, Matthew Van Niekerk, CEO and founder of Settlement. Now, let's jump right into today's episode. All right, hi, everyone. Welcome to the Chief Digital Heroes podcast. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. Uh, Today I'm here recording at uh, Cybos, and our guest today is uh, Sabi Bezad, Mm -hmm. uh, who is the head of digital assets and currency transformation at Deutsche Bank. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Really excited to be here. Great. So how's uh, Cybos been for you so far? It's uh, been an intense few days. This is my second Cybos, but uh, lots of client meetings, lots of discussions with vendors. But to be perfectly honest, really looking forward to getting back home now.
0: <laughs> if you're like me, my legs are ready to give out. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Good.
0: But you've had a pretty interesting career. I understood you started in more in tech, like a hardware technology type domain with Lucent. And then um, you've made a bit of a career, a few different steps uh, to get to where you are today at uh, Deutsche Bank. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey you've had in your career and how, what got you
1: to where you are today? Sure. Happy to. So one of the reasons I'm actually terrified about doing this podcast is it's going to reveal my secret geek-like nature which i've uh, managed to hide for the last few years at deutsche bank um, i actually did a computer systems engineering degree so very much focused around hardware software lots of maths and um, when i graduated which was now a good few years ago the hottest market was actually the telecoms market there was so much opportunity it was kind of the internet was being developed at that time or you know it was just coming to fruition at that time so the opportunity to go and work in that sector was really what got me excited and i ended up working in the software products division Of Lucent Technologies delivering really software solutions for tier one telecoms clients but quite quickly I realized I had a passion or an interest at least in financial services and also that quite frankly timed very well with the end of that dot-com bubble bursting and much more of an emphasis in the financial services sector so I moved across to Accenture where I was a technology consultant again using my technology background but working with banks and then that led me to the final step, which was, well, banks are really interesting. Wouldn't it be great if I got to work directly in them? But by that stage, I decided I probably wanted to step a little bit further away from the technology and get a bit more on the business side. And I ended up doing an MBA and eventually ended up in banking at Lehman Brothers, as it so sort of happens.
0: Right. Uh, Lehman in UK or, or elsewhere?
1: It was Lehman in the UK. Lehman ended up being nowhere in the end, unfortunately. So that was a little bit of an unfortunate end. But yes, I started off in the UK and then... The part of Lehman we were in got uh, taken over by Nomura, so we became part of Nomura, and then I eventually ended up moving to uh, Deutsche Bank after that. Great.
0: Okay. And what does a typical day look like for the head of digital assets at a world-leading bank? Well,
1: there's that cliche about no two days being the same. I think it's particularly true in the world of digital assets, and that's because there is so much information flow, so much news, so much development, as as you know, in the space. So, you know, the average day for me tends to be firstly just trying to keep up to date with the news, figuring out... Who's announced what? There's usually no end of banks that have announced something, no end of vendors that have got a new product out, no end of blockchains that have developed a new standard or a new way of doing something. So trying to at least filter through all of that, because to be perfectly honest, going through all of that's impossible. But filtering through some of that is what I spend some time doing. We typically will have two or three projects where I'm involved in keeping some level of oversight. So I want to deep dive into those, understand are things on track? Are those projects delivering what they need to? Is there a need to... Go and talk to people that perhaps are more involved in the technology, or perhaps working on the control side of things. So that's another side of it. And then the other piece is very much around relationship management. Certainly, as you get more senior in companies, as you'll know, a lot is around handholding and working with those different stakeholders. So you know that's managing upwards as well as managing downwards.
0: Right. And how big is the the digital asset and currency team at uh, Deutsche Bank?
1: So that's a great question, and doesn't have a surprisingly, doesn't have a specific answer, which you would think is an impossible situation to be in. But the reason for that is we are actually, and my team is a relatively small team that sits in the middle. So the idea is we have a bit of a hub and spoke model where we own the strategy, the overall direction and oversight of execution. So, you know, we're a relatively small team. We're about four or five people that sit and do that in the middle. But then within each of the businesses, those business areas are actually building the products and services, typically the developers we work with, the business stakeholders we work with work in those individual businesses. And then we have another outering of people, and that's not any slight on them outering. I'm only saying that to illustrate the point, but they're really people that work in our second line functions, for example, that might be helping us understand controls and deliver certain other aspects of the solution overall. So if I was to kind of try and sum up all of those people, there's probably in the region of 30, 40 people involved in digital assets in some way, shape or form. Some people doing it as a full-time job, others doing it as part of their, their day-to-day job.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, so we, I notice quite clearly there's a distinction in the title between the role that you have today, between digital assets and uh, and currencies. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what, what's the difference?
1: So the way we think about it, and to be honest, it, these things get cut in so many different ways. The first thing you'll notice, it doesn't use the word crypto in there uh, yeah. anywhere. And that's because we wanted it to be as broad as possible. At this moment in time, crypto isn't really an area of focus for us. Of course, we understand the ecosystem. It's important to understand how it works. And, you know, I suspect we'll end up in some way, shape or form dealing with crypto. For example, through the custody project that we're running, we expect to be able to custody some crypto. But really the big goal for us and the big bet that we're making in the future is that the end state of the economy will be tokenized, it'll be a digital economy. And that's where we see the capabilities. And therefore we make a distinction between those digital assets that are probably more like securities or tokenized real estate, those kind of you know, either illiquid assets or real assets or financial instruments as as, as pure assets. And then on the currency side, we tend to think much more around CBDCs, for example, central bank digital currencies. We think about delivering commercial bank money on chain in some way or form, and other forms of payments that are emerging, which include stable coins that are out there. So that's why we see a little bit of a distinction between those two things. Ultimately, those two things will have to interoperate together, of course, and that's why there's an and in the job title as well.
0: (laughs) Good. And also I've talked to a lot of different banks here and what we see is that like there's some are, are very much in the private permission camp, some are very much in the public permissionless camp. Where does Deutsche Bank sit on that spectrum? And where do you see it going in the future?
1: Yeah. I think that question is a is a very difficult question to answer because I don't think it has a binary answer, you are red or are you blue. I d I don't kind of see it that way. I think there's pros and cons on both and you know, very without getting into a, a detailed presentation about it, you know, this kind of compressed summary that I always give when I'm asked about it is the You know, public chains have the benefit of the fact that, you know, they already have many applications on there, there's a big community of developers out there, innovation moves very, very quickly, so it has all of those benefits, it has scale benefits as well, quite frankly, but the issue there is, because it's open, because anyone can join it, because anyone can see activity on there, it creates risks and issues and challenges, especially for banks that need to build enterprise-grade solutions. Private chains, of course, solve that, but then they don't have the benefits of some of that innovation, some of that speed. So Longwind was saying, I don't think there's a right answer. I think where we are in this point in history, I think one has to be pragmatic with your choice. I think there's a reality that says regulators, of course, also have a preference for private blockchains because they understand how banks control it. Whereas the moment you get into public blockchains, there's, there are ways to control it, of course, but those questions just increase from a technical perspective. So I think the answer there is we'll see a lot of activity or more activity perhaps on private or private permission blockchains. Many of those might even be EVM compatible yep. on the basis that over time perhaps we end up seeing that shift to public blockchains.
0: Yeah, and I think you you touch on an, uh, an interesting point always. If EVM compatible on, on permission means it kind of creates optionality for the future uh, instead of having to redevelop, recreate the use cases or types of assets. you can port them over in a way or bridge them over whatever the case may be
1: exactly that's the hope that uh, we we get to that uh, day but what i also say is the reality is this does remind me of the time i first started out in industry right fresh out of university there were so many things that were in flux there were so many standards that were in flux. the things were not clear a lot of those things have fallen away to the wayside they've they've died but some of the things that were there have actually grown you know a thousandfold compared to where they were so i think the answer is as you said which is you want to be able to experiment a little bit in this place, but you need to make some bets on the future, have a thesis, and then see where it takes you. Right,
0: right. Very good. I'm going to come back a little bit to you, and, and so we've talked a lot about uh, what Deutsche Bank is doing, and, and also a couple, not so technical, but a little bit uh, for some of the listeners who are into the blockchain space. But when we go to your role, for people who are listening that aspire to grow into such a position, what do you think are the, the key skills that they should be focusing on
1: developing? You know, I think there's a, there's a few things I would say that have helped me. And, you know, to the extent that they help others, I'm always happy to, happy to share those. I often think I've just been a very fortunate person throughout my career. I've had great managers, people that have have helped me along the way. And so, you know, maybe the first point there is you do need a bit of luck in your career. That's the truth, right? I've I've often found that, but that doesn't mean you, you do nothing and you just hope and wait with your lottery ticket. The few things I would say is firstly, especially when you start up fresh in your career, I think having some area of technical specialism that you end up being known for and being recognized for is really important. Yeah. So being a generalist is great. Yeah. But people tend to not remember generalists, right? And they don't seek out generalists. Right. You want to be someone that's sought out for maybe something very specific. Yeah. And I think back to my time at Lucent Technologies, I certainly wouldn't put myself as the smartest person there by no stretch of the imagination. But there was one specific area of technical competency that I'd built up. Yeah. And therefore when people on a project would have a problem, they'd come and approach me. And I think when you get recognized for something like that, it helps build your credibility and people start to see you as an expert in your field. So I think that's one thing I would say, think about what's called the T-shaped career, having a generalist piece, but then have some depth, right. that you can really talk about to people. The second thing I would say, and especially from those with a technical background like, my, like myself, people often underplay the importance of having good people skills And I think there's this misconception that you can't develop them, right? There's this kind of thing that, oh, I'm social, I'm an extrovert or I'm not, and therefore I'm pigeonholed forever. I strongly refute that. I just don't accept that's the case. I think, firstly, I think we can all learn to get better at those things, but interpersonal skills are improved. You know, they're like a muscle. They're improved through meeting people, talking to people about what you're doing, sharing your thoughts and ideas putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, right? Find someone who doesn't understand something you're doing and try and explain that to them. Yeah. So I would say both those things, having that you know, depth of something on the technical side, developing those interpersonal skills, that's important. And perhaps the final thing I would say that's helped me and um, you know, it's, it's often not the most glamorous part is working on your presentation skills. People right. often think, oh, well, that's talking about PowerPoint and I can't stand that. But actually being able to present your ideas in a concrete, succinct and compelling manner yeah. is a massive life skill, not just for your work, also for your personal life, actually, it turns out. Yeah. Although I never seem to win an argument with my wife, that's perhaps <laughs> another another problem for another day. But I think being able to do that is really, really important. It's a skill that we should all try and learn, but then also continue to improve on.
0: Right, right. Very cool. So and I think uh, what you started with was a bit of luck, and I think uh, we can all try to, let's say, maximize the opportunities for luck to happen. So coming to a place like Cybos is a good example of how to do that a lot of people around so you can maximize
1: I (laughs) completely agree. And I remember having a conversation with the manager once about luck and um, the image is stuck in my head. You know, he said to me, luck is like waves hitting the beach, right? And sure enough, there'll be waves there. They will continue to come. And if all you're doing is just standing there on the beach, watching them, nothing's going to happen, right? So you need to be ready with your surfboard. You need to be out in the water and you need to be waiting for that wave. And when that wave comes, you need to jump on it. Um, And that's how I try and think about as well. Be ready there with your surfboard.
0: Right. There you go. Nice tip. So at Deutsche Bank, you mentioned that there's two or three projects that are usually running at any given time. Uh, can you share insights into what is Deutsche Bank working on at the moment?
1: Yeah, we, we publicly talked about the fact that we are working on a digital asset custody solution, so the ability to to custody digital assets um, for our clients. We have partnered with a vendor called Taurus that's a Swiss-based vendor. We actually took an equity stake in that company as well a little bit earlier this year, and I've joined the board of Taurus. They're, they're now a Tech partner with with whom we're working, developing our custody capability. So that for us is a very large project. It's a big effort. It's a big effort, not least because it requires not just new tech to be inserted, but somehow integrated and uh, in be interoperable with the existing technology footprint that a bank has. Right. Um, if anyone's ever worked in a bank, they know how difficult that process is. It's really, it's yeah. really like trying to wire spaghetti together. It's a it's a complicated process. So that that's one project. The other areas that we are actively looking into, we're working on asset tokenization. Mm -hmm. So we're looking to see how to bring financial instruments on chain. And we've done some pilots with bonds. We expect to do some more over the course of the year, ideally with some clients um, that would be interested in tokenized bond issuances. We've also got a project around digital cash. We talked about CBDCs, but also about how to bring commercial bank money on chain. So how do you take a bank's liability Convert it into a token and then enable some sort of movement of that token so that's a third area and the fourth area for us is essentially looking at using blockchain dlt for post-trade activity. so how can you use it to make your functions your kind of post-trade functions quicker better cheaper faster right um, yeah. so we're looking at a whole bunch of projects around that so it's quite a wide variety of things that keep us busy well, that's on the go yeah
0: yeah yeah and i think um in your, your role um uh, just a question around uh, perceptions of other other people that you speak to. Are there any um, misconceptions of what it means to be uh, the head of digital assets at a bank that you come across? People make assumptions about what that means. So I'm wondering if you've come across any interesting stories about misperceptions about what your job is at the bank.
1: Yeah, I think you know when people hear it, they sometimes assume it's just all polo shirts and trainers, and uh, you know, being free to do whatever you want. I think. The reality is, and you know, that reality will be for everyone that works in a bank, I'm not in an innovation function. So it's not that, you know, I have a sandbox and sand gapped environment, sorry, air gapped environment through which I can just develop whatever I want. That's not how it works. I'm very much part of the business. Yep. So number one, that means I have to operate within certain constraints, right? And the constraints are, you know, those could be regulatory constraints. You know, yep. we can't do something that will, you know, not jive with our regulators. They're they're very important to us we have to be sure that whatever we do is within our risk appetite and our control framework so that's you know these are starting to sound like boring topics but they are they are very very important from from a bank perspective um but it also means from a budgeting perspective as well that you know we're in competition with other parts of the bank so it's a really fun job, I love what I do, but it of course comes with constraints and yep. people don't always appreciate that those constraints exist. And yep. there's sometimes this kind of pressure or expectation that things will just move instantly or quicker and that com- often comes from vendors yep. um, who don't understand perhaps that, you know, within a bank we have to operate within that construct.
0: For sure, yeah. Yeah, great. And and actually, I'm just going to zoom out a little bit. So uh, Deutsche Bank has been around since, I think, the
1: 1860s, if I'm not mistaken. That's about right, yeah. It's about 150, 160 years
0: old. That's right. And uh, so, of course, back then, nothing was digital. So there's an accelerating digital transformation over the last uh, 20 years or so uh, since the time you were at Lucent, I suppose. Where would you say Deutsche Bank is in a digital transformation journey? Are they starting, midpoint, or nearing the end?
1: Yeah. So firstly, you know, I I never think about with topics like digital transformation as something where you can really reach the end or near the end because there is always new technology. There is always new ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I think it's a continuous, you know, for me, you talked about Lucent. Lucent's uh, logo actually was this circle, right? That was meant to be the innovation circle. It was an imperfect circle where it basically symbolized continuous improvement. And that's the way I think about it, that digital transformation is about continuous improvement. You know, we made a lot of progress, but there are still parts of the bank that have not fully got the benefit of digital transformation, and there's more to be done. And then on this topic, in particular, on digital assets in particular, it is still very, very nascent, and it's a, nascent as an industry, right? People often think about the fact that, well, blockchain, DLT has been around a while, you know, the, the Nakamoto paper has been there for, you know, a good 10, 11, 12 years, right? So it's not new. But actually, for banks to embrace that technology takes a long time. So I still see us at the start of that journey from a digital asset perspective. Yeah. Broadly speaking, on digital transformation, I think we made good progress, but there's always more to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. So it's not a, a journey with an end point. Uh, it's uh, perpetual. And of course, in that context, there's a lot of different technologies. We've talked about uh, blockchain and digital assets, but of course, there are a lot of other technologies like AI or machine learning or generative AI or quantum computing. Are there... Any technologies outside of blockchain technology that get you excited, and, and if so, what, are you doing anything with them at the at the moment?
1: I think you've hit the main ones. I think the topical piece, of course, these days is all around AI. There's uh, a lot of momentum on the AI topic, and as a bank, that's an area that we're looking at. We're trying to understand how can we use that technology, typically make our processes more efficient, make some of the flows we have within the bank more efficient. And so there's a number of projects that have been spun up. They're not directly under my remit, but they are happening within the bank. But also within that area, I think we're very much at the nation stage. I think that first batch of projects for banks, at least, will mostly focus, as I said, on kind of cost efficiency, on stripping out manual process, replacing where but the really exciting stuff will be new business models you can build, you right. know, client interactions you can have. And I don't think we've really scratched the surface of that within banks. And it, it'll come, right, it's a phased approach, but I think that is when things will get really exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Future's bright.
1: <laughs>
0: Great. I just uh, want to be really mindful of time. I know Cybos is uh, crazy busy. Uh, so we're going to ask uh, one last question. So with your, your experience, your wealth of experience in, in different domains, and uh, our listeners are quite often looking to better understand what they should be doing in order to further their career, uh, what advice would you give them?
1: Yeah. So I think there's a few things, a couple I already touched upon, perhaps, you know, one was around that depth and, you know, I yeah. talked about interpersonal skills and presentations. So I think those things are important. The other thing I would say for me, again, that I found useful, um, I wanted to make sure that I had continuous qualifications that I could show. So I think the opportunity to get certifications that have market value is important. I I often see a lot of technology people that have a lot of certifications, but actually, they're in something that isn't particularly relevant or they're from a body that isn't that relevant. So I think right. spending the time to understand, is it really relevant? Is it a recognized qualification is really important. Getting those is key, I would say, look for professional bodies that perhaps will validate those. So for example, I'm a chartered engineer. Yeah. I'm part of the chartered engineering group, which for me has been really beneficial because it also acts as a network. So it allows you to speak to people who perhaps have a similar background to you, but also like yourself, want to move into a different type of career or exciting career path. Network, right? And I know that's often said and, you know, people kind of groan when they hear the word network. I think there's this misconception that, you know, networking is kind of foisting yourself on unsuspecting people at companies. But no, I think networking can be done in a more subtle format, right? Reach out to friends, they'll have friends that have friends, just get introduced, meet somebody for coffee, just find out what they're doing. You don't need to say that you're there for a job necessarily, yep. you're just there to learn. And I think through that learning process, you'll also understand a little bit more about the opportunities that are out there. You'll start to understand, would that be something that would really interest me? And you know, being out there networking, I really see is important because you're not gonna come to an epiphany sitting at home in your room, right. staring at the computer. That's rarely the case that that happens. So get out there, speak to people, broaden your horizons, broaden your network. Be open to new opportunities, right? That's what I would say.
0: Okay, all right. Are there any other points you'd like to raise in the podcast today?
1: No, I think we've probably touched upon the main ones. I mean, the only thing I would say from my perspective is, having worked with people, especially with a tech background, I would say we're in a really, in my view, a really unique moment in history. I think for the longest time, if you like, the balance of power between those on a pure business side, and from a tech perspective was was very one-sided. And I really see that shift happen, right? If I think about banks, financial services generally, they've become really nothing more than glorified tech shops, right? They, and technology is what differentiates the best from mediocre. So I think, you know, for those listening to this that have a technical background, feel proud in your background because it's really going to help you. It can serve as a differentiator. And banks really look for those people that have that amalgamation of skills, right? Good communicator, great with people, that really understands tech and how tech can be transformational. I think that's key. Great.
0: Well, thanks a lot. And, and uh, so, Sabi, if anyone for that's listening would like to follow along with your research or the work you're doing, uh, where should they follow you?
1: So I tend to post on LinkedIn, not as much as I should, perhaps. So I'm going to, it's my, let's say, mid to New Year's resolution now to try and get better at that. But that's probably the best place. And, uh, you know, we've published a couple of papers. I've posted them then before, but but yeah, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn.
0: All right, excellent. Thanks again for joining me and sparing a bit of time in your your, your day at Cybos. Uh, it's been great, thanks a lot.
1: Real pleasure, thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Chief Digital Heroes, brought to you by Settlement, the world's leading blockchain transformation platform. To learn more about Settlement or to access the latest episodes, visit settlement.com.